The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. As we get ready to have Aaron come up, I just want to take a, a pastoral moment, if I may, and just say thank you for the opportunity to sit back with you again for another Sunday to hear the Word of God. Uh, guys, I don't know if we know how blessed we are among our congregation to have so many men of God be able to preach the Word of God here in this church. Uh, that's a blessing, and so many churches don't have that blessing. So for those men who've preached and will preach in coming days, thank you so much. But thank you for the opportunity. It's good for you to hear another voice especially as it relates to what God is doing in people's hearts. Aaron's not going to bring something from his heart. He's going to bring something from the Word of God that God has transformed within his heart. That's a big difference. But I can tell you it's going to be a great thing. And, and also, uh, we have some kids in our congregation today. Thank you so much for all the uh, parents who are watching kids. The fifth Sundays are hard to get workers for, so uh, if you hear some gurgling or other noises that aren't normal, it might be your stomach, it might be other things, but praise the Lord, we have kids to be in our service. Amen? It's a great, great thing. And so, Aaron, I told Aaron I wouldn't be long. I'd give a word. I got one word to describe Aaron. That's all he would let me say. So, Aaron, I got a compound word with a hyphen, all right? Okay. So, I'm going to cheat a little bit, yep. and... It's sold out, sold, S-O-L-D, dash out. That's a one word, right? So uh, I'll just leave it at that. You know Aaron Stevens, one of our uh, uh, seminary students here. I had the picture up, but uh, every night at our house, uh, let me see if I can find it really quickly. Aaron's going to get embarrassed because it's going to make him cry probably. Uh, every night at our house, we stare at a picture of Aaron. That sounds weird, I know. But uh, uh, Simeon likes to look at pictures. It helps calm him down with all his autism stuff. And it's hard to see, but we have a picture of Aaron preaching in his home church uh, back in July, I think it was. And uh, uh, our kids know that when Aaron stands up, he brings the Word of God. So I have no doubt he'll do that today. So <laughs> if you're crying a river over there, come cry with us. It'll be good. So Aaron, without further ado, why don't you come up and bless us, brother. Thank you for leading us today. Hey. Good morning, everyone. So one interesting thing that I've noticed about kind of the younger generation of uh, people who, who are preaching versus the not as young generation of people. <laughs> I still use paper. All these other people, they always have these tablets or this other technology up here that they're using along with it. But all the younger younger guys I know, they always use paper. So I don't know if the younger generation isn't as up with the times as we think we are or or whatnot, but I have paper today. Um, but yeah, over the last four weeks, we've been going over the, the five solas, and Darren's been preaching over those, and we have the 500th anniversary of Reformation Day when uh, Martin Luther nailed those 95 theses to that door, um, and, that's, and that's in two days. Um, and so really, we're kind of coming to the end of this series, and I want us to see today that soli deo gloria, what I'll be preaching on, glory to God alone, is really the culmination of the other four solas. All the other four solas lead up to this. If we see that Scripture is our authority, and it's our only authority, and we see that we've been saved through faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone, then we can give glory to God alone. And so, when I was in middle school, uh, I always had uh, these, these Christian t-shirts that I would wear to school, 
And there were two that kind of stood above the rest. One was uh, a pretty cool shirt that said, this shirt is illegal in 52 countries. And it had a Bible verse on the back. Um, and I get lots of questions from people at school, like, why is that shirt illegal? Is it what it's made out of or what? And I would be like, no, it has a Bible verse on the back. And there's 52 countries around the world where just having a Bible or having a Bible verse um, is illegal or it's um, something that can get you killed or, or hurt. And that would open up a lot of cool spiritual conversations. And then the second shirt didn't really open up that many conversations, but it was a good reminder to me. And on the front, it said, be the moon. And on the back, it said, reflect the sun. And so it was a kind of cool play on words, but it was really a reminder of, as believers, our job is to reflect the sun. Our job is to be like Christ and to strive to be more and more like Christ each day and to reflect him in our lives and everything that we're doing. And so before we jump into our passage, which is going to be Isaiah 42, I want to give two really practical points um, about what soli deo gloria means, what glory to God alone means, as the reformers intended it. And as I just said, if we see scripture as our authority alone and see that we have been saved through faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone, then we can give glory to God alone. And so the first thing I want us to see is there's no glory in ourselves in our salvation. In Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, it says, For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. And so really what we see here is it's by grace through faith. It's nothing that we've done to earn our salvation. We can't have any glory in ourselves for the salvation that we've received through Christ. Um, that it, all the glory goes to God. There's nothing that we have done to deserve it. The one that gives the gift gets the glory for the gift. It's not glory and, oh, I, I received this gift. And the second point I want us to see is there is no glory in the one who led us to believe. And I am so thankful for the people that poured into my life and shared the gospel with me and discipled me and encouraged me in the faith and built me up and have just been alongside me the whole way. But these people are not the ones that saved me. These people do not deserve the glory of my salvation. They were just faithful um, servants of God that were bringing this message um, that, that God gave them to bring. And we see a picture of this in 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 7. And so um, Paul is speaking to the church, and he's, there's division in the church. Some people are saying, oh, I follow Apollos, and some are saying, I follow Paul. And there's division, but what Paul's really saying is that we need to be united in Christ. Christ is the one who's brought our salvation. He's the one that's growing us. It's not me, and it's not Apollos doing that. Uh, so it says, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? They are servants through whom you believed, and each has the role the Lord has given. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So then neither is the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. And so really, uh, it's, these are, we are servants of God, and, and we do have this call to, to be building up believers and to be sharing the gospel, but there's no glory in ourselves for that. It's only God who's bringing the growth, and it's only God who's changing hearts. And along with this, as the Reformers meant it, there is no glory in, in a pope who's mediating on our behalf. There's no glory in a priest who's mediating for us between God because Christ is our mediator, mediator and he's our only mediator. And so the problem is when we glorify creation rather than the creator, when we glorify the tools rather than the one who's using the tools, 
And when we glorify the, the beauty of the moon or the, the radiance of the moon instead of the sun that makes it beautiful. And so just like that shirt I was talking about, if you look up at the sky on a clear night when it's a full moon, um, you would describe the moon as many things. You would say it's bright, it's beautiful, it's, it's glowing, it's great. But without the sun shining its light on that moon, the moon is nothing. You wouldn't be able to see it. And so the moon's glory comes from the sun that's shining on it. And in the same way, uh, Christ's glory and our glory comes from God who is shining on us and that we are simply reflecting. All right, and so now getting to the passage in Isaiah 42. Um, so at this point in Isaiah, uh, the Israelites, they are in ex- exile. They've rebelled against God. They were seeking false gods. They were worshiping idols, and they finally uh, received the punishment for what they had done. And the first four verses of this passage, which we aren't going to read, are directly talking about Jesus, and he's talking about this servant. And we know they're talking about Jesus because in Matthew 12, Jesus said he has fulfilled um, these words. And so we're going to read verses 5 through 17 this morning. So if you'll stand with me as we read God's word. This is what God, the Lord, says, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk on it. I am the Lord. I have called you for a righteous purpose. I will hold you by your hand. I will watch over you. I will appoint you to be a covenant for the people and a light to the nations in order to open blind eyes to bring out prisoners from the dungeon and those sitting in darkness from the prison house. I am the Lord. This is my name, and I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. The past events have indeed happened. Now I declare new events. I announce them to you before they occur. Sing a new song to the Lord. Sing his praise from the ends of the earth. You who go down to the sea with all that fills it, you coasts and islands with your inhabitants. Let the desert and its cities shout. The settlements where Kedar dwells cry aloud. Let the inhabitants of Selah sing for joy. Let them cry out from the mountaintops. Let them give glory to the Lord and declare his praise in the coasts and islands. The Lord advances like a warrior. He stirs up his zeal like a soldier. He shouts. He roars aloud. He prevails over his enemies. I have kept silent from ages past. I have been quiet and restrained myself. But now I will groan like a woman in labor, gasping breathlessly. I will lay waste mountains and hills and dry up all their vegetation. I will turn rivers into islands and dry up marshes. I will lead the blind by a way they did not know. I will guide them on paths they have not known. I will turn darkness to light in front of them and rough places into level ground. This is what I will do for them. I will not abandon them. They will be turned back and utterly ashamed. Those who trust in an idol and say to a cast image, you are our gods. Let's pray. Dear Lord, uh, I just thank you for this opportunity you've given me today to just bring your word uh, to your people. Lord, I just pray that you would open our hearts so that we can receive it and understand more about you and your glory, Lord. And I just pray that um, this, this understanding of your glory would lead us to praise you more and more and would give us a desire to see others praise you as well to the farthest ends of the earth. Um, Lord, I just pray that you would be with us today and that you would just help us to, to receive your word. Yes, it seems in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. And so what I want us to see in this passage is I want us to see the exclusiveness and the testimony of God's glory. And then after we talk about kind of what establishes God's glory and what shows God's glory, 
I want us to see how, how Christ perfectly reflected God's glory in his life on the earth and how that's our example to follow and how we can uh, strive to perfectly reflect God's glory on the earth. And so the first point um, in verses uh, 5 through 9 I want us to see is that God's glory is in what he's created and what he's done. We see God's glory in what he has created and what he has done. And so just verse 5 says, This is what God the Lord says, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk on it. And so this is just a really uh, good verse about what God has done. He's created the heavens and the earth. He's created even us. He gives us the breath that we breathe, and he's given us um, the, the spirit that is within us. Without God, there wouldn't be any of this around us. There wouldn't be the earth. We wouldn't exist. There wouldn't be anything. And so all glory goes to God because he's created everything. And then moving on, um, again, like I said, the first four verses are talking about Jesus as this servant who, uh, who will come. And so in verse 6, the, the you in this verse is actually talking about Jesus who will come. And he says, I am the Lord. I have called you for a righteous purpose, and I will hold you by your hand. I will watch over you, and I will appoint you to be a covenant for the people and a light to the nations in order to open blind eyes to bring out prisoners from the dungeon and those sitting in darkness from the prison house. And so what we see in this verse is really a picture of God's salvation, the salvation that he is going to bring through Christ, how he will be a light to the nations, he'll be a light to all, and that those who are blind will see, and those that are in prison will be released, and those in the dungeon will come out. So God can be glorified for the salvation that he offers through Christ. And then we get down to verse 8, and I think this is really the, the, core, the core piece of this passage. <coughs> and it says, I am the Lord, that is my name, and I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. This really uh, gives us the soli deo glory that we're talking about, the glory to God alone. He's not a God that is going to share his glory. He's not a God that plays well with others, shall we say. He does not allow idols to take any of the glory that is due him. Um, he, he is a jealous God. And so there's a, there's a similar passage to this um, in when we see the Ten Commandments are given to Moses. In the first three commandments, we see this exclusiveness of God's glory and how he does not allow his glory to go to another. We see that um, we are to worship God alone. We see that we shouldn't have any idols or graven images and that he is a jealous God. And then we see that we are not to use the Lord's name in vain. And another interesting thing is at the beginning of the, the, the Ten Commandments, he says, I am the Lord, your God. And at the beginning of this verse, he says, I am the Lord, that is my name. And so there is something to his name itself that declares his glory. His name is the name that has been used um, up to this point all throughout um, history. He has done so many things, and we see this in verse 9 as well. It says, the past events have indeed happened. Now I declare new events. I announce them to you before they occur. And so everything that has led up to this point, everything that, that God has done, um, he deserves glory for. Um, from, from Genesis to this point, we see his judgment um, in the story of Noah. We see his judgment in the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. We see his deliverance of Israel in Egypt and how he led them out with a mighty arm and how he led them into the promised land, how he cast the nations out 
from before them and how the nations actually feared God because they knew about him. They'd heard stories about him and they feared him and they didn't want um, the Israelites to come because they knew that they were going to be defeated because Israel's God was a mighty God. And so along with this, we need to see that that all the things that God has done, all the things that are testified to in Scripture, all the things that are even testified to in our lives are giving glory to God. These things show His glory. And so the next thing I want us to see is that glory leads to praise. God's glory leads for peoples to be praising Him. And we can see this specifically in verses 10 through 12. Sing a new song to the Lord. Sing His praise from the ends of the earth. You who go down to the sea with all that fills it, you coasts and islands with your inhabitants. Let the desert and its cities shout. The settlements where Kedar dwells cry aloud. Let the inhabitants of Selah sing for joy. Let them cry out from the mountaintops. Let them give glory to the Lord and declare his praise in the coasts and islands. And so we see that, that God's glory is to be, be all over the earth. It's to be in all these cities and all these islands and on the coasts and there shouldn't be a place where God's glory isn't. There shouldn't be a place that isn't praising God for his glory. It even, even talks about the deserts proclaiming his glory, praising him for his glory. And so it's, it's this imagery of even his creation proclaims his glory along with the people he has made. And there's another verse that goes along with this, which is Habakkuk 2.14. And it says, The knowledge of the Lord's glory will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And there's some... And What's really key in that passage is it's the knowledge of God's glory. God is already perfectly glorified. He already has infinite glory. But his, the knowledge of his glory does not cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. It, that has not happened. There are still people all over this earth that don't know who God is, that don't know what Jesus has done for them. There's a message that still needs to go out. Um, there's still dark places that need to see the light of that message. And so... Um, in Habakkuk 2.14, we see this prophecy that one day the whole earth will know of God's glory. And on that day, the, the whole earth will be praising God. And so um, we need to see that God's glory leads to praise. And we need to see that there is still um, an obligation for us as believers to be making him known, to make his glory known in all the earth as it should and as it's promised that it will. And then uh, next we see that God's glory is found also in his characteristics. We see some strong imagery of God um, in verses 13 through 16. It says, The Lord advances like a warrior. He stirs up his zeal like a soldier. He shouts. He roars aloud. He prevails over his enemies. I have kept silent from ages past. I have been quiet and restrained myself. But now I will groan like a woman in labor, gasping breathlessly. I will lay waste mountains and hills and dry up all their vegetation. I will turn rivers into islands and dry up marshes. And so here we see this powerful imagery of who God is, that he is a mighty warrior, that he's a conquering soldier, that he has zeal, and that he shouts and he roars and he prevails over his enemies. He's not defeated. Then we see this imagery of him laying waste to mountains and hills and drying up vegetation and making rivers into islands and drying up marshes. We see his power over creation. We see his might. But then we see uh, a different part of his characteristics. We see his love in verses 16 and 17. It says, I will lead the blind by a way they did not know. 
I will guide them on paths they have not known. I will turn darkness to light in front of them and rough places into level ground. This is what I will do for them, and I will not abandon them. And so this is him talking to Israel. Israel has completely rebelled against him. He has cast them into exile, and they have been worshiping false gods. They've neglected their duties to him. They haven't been worshiping him as they should. But still, God has patience with them. He hasn't abandoned them. He still loves them. He's going to make them see. He's going to make their paths straight and on level ground. And then in verse 17, it says, They will be turned back and utterly ashamed. Those who trust in an idol and say to a cast image, You are our gods. And so the Israelites are going to see the love of God for them and that he still loves them, that he's still guiding them and he's still leading them, even though they don't deserve it at all. And they're going to look back and see their idolatry and they're going to be ashamed of it. And they're going to say to themselves, we were, we were fools, we were idiots when we were doing this because God is so much more glorious than these, these little images, these things that we've carved out of, out of wood. They're, they're empty. There's nothing to them. And there's <coughs> this God who still loves us and it has all this power and might and power over creation that still cares for us, that, that we forsook. And how could we do that? Um, but they will be turned back to God, as we see in the beginning of 17. <coughs> and so what we need to see is that we are blind and we are helpless without God. And we need his salvation. We need his grace. And we don't deserve it. There's nothing that we've done to deserve it. We have abandoned him. We've rebelled against him. We don't deserve his grace, but he has given it to us. But we also want, as believers, people from all over the earth to see the light that is God. We want people to see this salvation that they can have in him, that they can turn from their idolatry and they can turn to God. We want them to be freed from their prisons. We want them to be uh, brought out of their dungeons. And God has chosen us to do to to do this work to bring his message to the far reaches of the earth. And so we've seen that God's glory is in what he has created and what he's done. God is glorified and um, his characteristics and God's glory should leads, lead us to praise him. But now I want to I want to kind of shift focus and want us to look at two other places that we see um, God's glory is to be revealed and is to be reflected. Um, and these two places are laid out for us in Ephesians three, twenty through 21. And it says, Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. And so God receives glory from the church, from, from believers, and he receives glory in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. And so what I want to do with the rest of the sermon is I want to talk about how we reflect God's glory. But in order to do that, we need to see how Christ, when he came and lived amongst us, reflected God's glory perfectly. And uh, if we can just look at Hebrews 1.3, uh, we see a clear picture of this. It says, The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Let me just read that one more time. The sun is the radiance of God's glory 
and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And so the word here for radiance can also be reflection. And we see that Jesus reflected God's glory. We see that God, that Jesus was the radiance of God's glory on the earth. And this is just like we were talking about with the moon. The moon, um, it reflects the glory of the sun. And in the same way, Jesus reflected the glory of God. And as we as believers, if we're trying to be the moon, reflect the sun, we want to reflect the sun because the sun perfectly reflects the Father. But what did this perfect representation look like? What did Jesus' life look like? Um, if we can all just open up to Philippians 2, 3 through 11. Just a powerful passage talking about Christ's life and really the gospel. Philippians 2, 3 through 11. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And so this is really, it is the gospel. This is a picture of the gospel and, and what Christ has done. He, he left, he emptied himself, he left the perfect glory, the perfect satisfaction satisfaction the the perfection of heaven and he came down to the earth to live among us but he didn't come to to have power he didn't come to have glory he didn't come to seek himself or build himself up but he came to to build up god and in that he was a servant he wasn't served he was a servant of all and he did this and did this to the point he, he didn't sin at all he didn't deserve to live in the brokenness that we live in because of sin but he chose to on our behalf, and ultimately he chose to die on our behalf. The, the perfect death that we couldn't die to pay the penalty for our sins, he sacrificed himself. And it wasn't an ordinary death, it was a death on a cross that was humiliating and that was torturous. But not only this, but three days later, he rose again from the grave and he proved they had the power to do this, proved they had power over sin and over death. And it's really at the cross that we see this the, the best picture of Christ reflecting God's glory because it's at the cross that the, all of God's characteristics, all of God's nature really meets. His, his perfect wrath, his perfect judgment, and then also his perfect mercy and forgiveness and love for people. But if we change around this narrative, if we change the gospel into something that the Jews, for example, expected when Jesus came, if Jesus came... And he came not to serve, but to be served. If he came as a ruler, as a conquering king, to free uh, the, the Jews from the Roman oppression. 
if he came to, to give orders and if he came to be over the earth, even as Satan tempted him when he was tempting him in the wilderness, that he would be over all the kingdoms. If he came and did all these things, it wouldn't make sense because he already had all of this and more when he was in heaven with God. He already had perfect satisfaction and perfect glory and perfect relationship and perfect love, and there wasn't anything he was lacking. And so to come to earth and to seek those things to, to a lesser extent, to a much lesser extent, it doesn't make sense. You know, his life only makes sense if he came to serve others, if he came for others and not for himself. But uh, what I really want us to see today and what I want us to go home with is that as believers, it's equally as crazy for us to live our lives on this earth for ourselves and not for God's glory and not in serving others. It's we have heaven to look forward to. We have this perfect relationship with God and we will see his unveiled glory in heaven and we will not be consumed by it because we have Christ um, standing on our behalf and saying that we are pure and we have his, his purity, we have his blood covering us. And in Mark 10, 35 through 45, his disciples are kind of wrestling with this idea. Um, I'll just summarize the, the story um, James and John, they, they go up to Jesus and say, hey, we want you to do something for us. And Jesus says, okay, what? And then they say, we want us to be sitting at your right and at your left in glory. But they, then Jesus says, are you able to drink the cup that I'm going to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism that, I'm able to bap- that I will be baptized with? Basically saying, are you willing to suffer as I'm going to suffer? Are you going to give your lives as I'm going to give my life? And then they say, yeah, we will. And then he's kind of probably thinking, you guys don't even know. But yeah, you will. Um, but the sitting at my right and at my left is not mine to give. Um, it's for those it has been prepared for. But then all the, the other ten disciples find out, and they're probably pretty jealous. Like, how could you ask him that? I want to sit at his right and left too. Like, why would you do that? But then Jesus calls all the disciples over, and he tells them, um, on earth... With Gentile kings, they, they rule as tyrants. They rule as ones having authority, and they abuse that authority, and they tell people to do this and that, and they, they use their authority for their own gain. But that's not how it should be among you. Um, the one who wants to be first has to be servant to all, and the one who wants to be greatest must be slave to all. Because even I, I didn't come to, to seek and serve myself. I came to, to, to serve I didn't. I came to serve, and so in the same way as Jesus came to serve, we um, should live our lives in service to God. And so the the kind of irony of this is, if you want to be great in heaven, you don't want to be great in heaven. You want to serve. You want to be lowly. You want to be a servant, and you want to be a slave. But it's the ones that do want to be great in heaven that don't understand this, that aren't servants, that seek to build themselves up, that are going to be least in heaven and that will be least in glory, and that, that reflect God's glory the least. Because we want to, to reflect God's glory as Christ reflected God's glory, and Christ reflected God's glory in service and suffering. And so what does soli deo gloria um, really mean? It's, it's also what separates Christianity from all these other religions. All these other religions say, that to get to God, you need to do this. You need to do this work. You need to be a good person. You need to give this money to this person. You need to talk to this person and get on his good side, and he'll let you into heaven. Um, 
it's it's through what we do or it's through what someone else does and so you physically can't give all the glory to god because it's also you doing the work it's also someone else doing the work but in christ as we've been completely saved and we can't be any more saved tomorrow than we were when we first believed there's nothing that we can do to to earn this salvation then everything that we do in service is to the glory of god it's not for ourselves there can't be any selfish motivation in it because we can't earn our salvation Whereas someone else, if they're if they're serving, they aren't truly serving because they're also seeking their own salvation. They're 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 building themselves up, but we can glorify God alone. And so, as believers, we look forward to a day when we will sit in God's presence, when we will experience His glory, when we'll be with people from all tribes, tongues, and nations singing to God, praising him and glorifying him together for who he is and what he's done and that he's he's made us and he's saved us and he's redeemed us and allowed us to be in his presence and experience his glory through Christ and how there's nothing at all that compares to that. Now, um, I'm going to I'm going to close in prayer and then we're going to we're going to sing a song, but I really want you to just dwell on the fact of of who God is, and, and in light of the glory of who he is, I want us to just praise him um, as Gilbert leads us. So let's pray. Dear Lord, I just thank you so much for who you are, Lord. Lord, I just thank you that you have redeemed us and that you have loved us so much, even though we weren't deserving of your love, that you gave us the gift of salvation uh, by grace through faith in Christ. Lord, I just pray that People from all ends of the earth will come to know of your glory and that they will sing praises to you for your glory. And Lord, I pray that we would continue to be more and more aware of your glory each day and that we would seek to make it known to all peoples. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.